Welcome to the Sim Cafe, a podcast produced by the team at Innovative Sim Solutions, edited by Shelley Hauser. Join our host, Deb Tauber, as she sits down with subject matter experts from across the globe to reimagine clinical education and the use of simulation. So pour yourself a cup of relaxation, sit back, tune in, and learn something new from the Sim Cafe. Welcome to another episode of the Sim Cafe. Today, we're blessed to have Dr. Lori Leosi. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And Dr. Leosi, would you like me to call you what? Oh, yeah. Please just call me Lori. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I'm a family nurse practitioner by trade. I was a nurse over 20 years and I have, I guess, almost 25 years in nursing now and was a nurse practitioner. I teach at the University of Alabama in Huntsville College of Nursing, and I'm the executive director of the Learning and Technology Resource Center. So quite a few hats, uh, you know, as well as being a health coach now. Great. And Lori, why don't you share with our guests how you stepped and got into simulation? I'm a mom of three kids and uh, I have an amazing husband who allowed me to go back to school after being a nurse and, and get my nurse practitioner degree. There was a clinic here close to me who needed a healthcare provider to care for some children. It was in an underserved rural area. And so I went back to school to do that, to be a nurse practitioner. And as I got into trying to actually practice in, in the state of Alabama, we ran into a lot of practice barriers, which frustrated me. And I had not been told about those in school. So at least it not to the length that would really inhibit me practicing well, right? Like that I would have to pay a physician to oversee 10% of my charts to volunteer for free. So that for me was just this rude awakening. So I got very involved in politics uh, for a little bit there and went back and got my doctorate. And as I got my doctorate, I learned a lot more about education and became very passionate about maybe changing lives through education. And I was one of the early adopters while I was getting my, my doctorate in applying simulation. We had a mannequin, but it was not, not really in much use. And I'm one of those lifelong learners. So I love working with new technology. I've always been an early adopter with those. And so I just joined the International Nursing Association for the Clinical Simulation and Learning Organization and volunteered. And so the first committee I volunteered for was standards of practice because I wanted to know how to do it correctly. And so funny enough, I was running simulation in the college I was with. I became the simulation coordinator immediately. And the dean at that time just asked me to move class to class and implement simulation. And so as I moved class to class and trained each faculty member, and then I got more involved in the International Nursing Association for Clinical Simulation and Learning. I became embedded in the evidence-based practice of it. And, and that really started my career off super early in 2009 with simulation, at least for, for us in nursing, it was a whole unique field then. Right. It, it was a, a very open field at that point. Um, yes. In business, they called that a blue ocean. Yeah. We didn't know, we didn't really know um, as much about how much had been implemented with other fields you know, like aerospace and all that. So as I, we started doing some of the literature searches and research to figure out some basic standards of best practice, it was, it was very eye-opening for me that one, we weren't the first, <laughs> but two, we were way behind in education. And so that was super fun for me. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Why don't you share a little bit about your work with the dictionary? I, I think that that taxonomy was a game changer for simulation. 
It really was. As I continued to volunteer in organizations, I really had a, you know, I have a love of volunteering. I love to learn through that. I love learning through service and being a part of growing things. I have a creative mind and love visionary things. And so I just get a lot of energy from that. And so as I, as we did that, I volunteered from being on the standards committee to be on a terminology committee with the Society for Simulation and Healthcare. So that was 2012, 11 or 12, and got involved in that and was on the task force with some of our other colleagues. They had representatives from every group. And as that grew, we vetted out the first hundred uh, words to go in that dictionary. It was actually a vision of uh, Dr. Joe Lopriato, who and um, Andrew Spain, who's the staff member for SSH, uh, together really laid the foundation for that, brought those groups together. We had uh, work group meetings at each of SSH's conferences right before the conference. And it really helped us get into defining how much words matter and how widely they're used differently and how it's when you have that blue ocean, you can make up things, but they're not quite there. And so there was so much variation. It was really nice standardizing terminology so that no matter what profession was using it, we could start measuring apples to apples and outcomes, right? And so that was really fun. And it has grown. I, be, I became the editor of the Simulation Dictionary when Dr. Joe Lopriato became the president-elect. He'd been leading it for those years. And so the last three or four years, I've been the editor of, of the dictionary. And we have some associate editors, and we couldn't do it without them and the, the members that contribute to the words that are confusing. And uh, so we add words every year. We've done a just-in-time update to that. So we have a version one that Dr. Joe Lopriato did in 2016 was the first publication. And then we did an update every three to four years. And it's really based on the need of the dictionary and our memberships with SSH, what the members need. And we did an update in 2020, but then the pandemic hit. So we did an additional update in the fall, adding some words about all of the virtual things that were going on with simulation. And just some clarification, because there were articles coming out left and right, and we were calling all kinds of things different, telehealth and telesim and all these things. So we needed a little clarification. And so we did an article on that and then an update and added acronyms and things just to help some consistency in what we'll be reading in the future, hopefully. Uh, But the dictionary doesn't dictate what you use. It really just is a collection of how it's been used and how it's already reflected in literature. And so that's really helpful. We're not making up words. We're not suggesting definitions. We're just providing that history so that people can make good decisions as they write and share things in the future. Excellent work. Excellent work. Thank you so much for all you've done. It's, it's, it's so fun. It's such a fun thing to do. Yeah. All right. Laura, I'm going to ask you my next question, which is, Can you share with our listeners your favorite or most impactful simulation story? Yeah, I've got so many, but on my part, what was most impactful for me in knowing simulation was a field that I needed to just dive into headfirst was one of our first simulations. You know, we, we didn't even think to tell them to dress in scrubs. They just came for their daily, (laughs) you know, clinical meeting and uh, we would stand by the bedside and do things. And just so much was revealed after that, you know, over the next few years, but But I will say having immersive simulations where we finally got the students to buy into, you know, while you're in that room, be immersive, participate. This isn't fiction. You're going to run into this situation one day when the reality hit them and they actually dug in 100 percent and really tried to take care of the patient and forgot that it was made of plastic. You know, the more interactive we were, the more voices by the time the simulation was over, and it's not even the subject about the simulation, it was the way they interacted with them. And then the debriefing after. The debriefing for me was probably the, my favorite part of the simulation because they went through, and while they made a couple of mistakes, I was so excited. They weren't afraid of those mistakes. 
And then by the time we got to debriefing, I'll never forget, we had every student around the table had a different emotion. I had some that were angry and arms back. They thought they knew what they would do in that situation. And they were, they were angry at themselves, not at the situation or the sim or anything else. And it was, it was so funny starting to read emotions and using then even using a debriefing tool was almost unheard of. And, but we did go through feelings first, like, okay. And I had to do it like, because you could see the different feelings on everyone and had somebody crying who that simulation touched them in a different way. And then we had some that were so excited and leaders who stepped up, who didn't know they were leaders. But when everybody else stepped back and they had a minute to think, they stepped in and they did the right thing. And I think for me, that was the moment my aha moment came on and I got so curious about what they were doing and what they were feeling. We were able to kind of normalize the feelings and take it from there as a learning point and bridge the gap in their knowledge. It was just such a beautiful thing to see it come together, even though we didn't know everything, right? This was so early. We didn't know everything, but it changed their lives. And they still come back and say that was like the moment for them when they realized It was learning, you know, they weren't intimidated and that there are things they know and don't know. And when you get to the application part, which is what we couldn't do in education before, I mean, we can get them to do a skill or something, but we can't supply that emotion, that feeling, and then allow them to make a mistake and correct it, you know, immediately the the branches of their thinking. And it was, it was just so deep and it was so impactful for them. And, and for me, it changed my career as a faculty member, you know, as a teacher, no longer the sage on the stage, just go by what they're feeling, what they need. You know, they, they had so much knowledge and not being empty vessels. It was so fun to really just feel what they needed and not throw in a bunch of information at them and then see the impact it had on their careers. And they've come back and it, it's so nice to see students who, you know, say you made an impact in some way with all of that, even though, you know, you weren't perfect at it. So really that's my, that, that, that was my first super impactful simulation that, that made me know this field was so valuable to um, healthcare. Great. Great. Thank you. And Lori, where do you where do you think simulation is going to go in the future? What do you think the future holds? Yeah, so after the pandemic, obviously all the barriers have been broken again, which is one of my favorite things. Yeah, kaboom, like gone, uh, broken. Is we're reevaluating it again. So simulation is so dynamic in that every barrier we think we've gotten to, every time we think we're getting this perfect structure in place, there is no perfect, and that's the fun part. And we're also teaching our students there's no perfect. So I think there's going to be more emphasis on the not just the process of debriefing, but flexible debriefing in all different areas. We know there's more video simulation based, you know, virtual distance simulation, telesimulation, but also it created a huge need for telehealth simulations. How do you do telehealth? How do you do a physical exam? And we had started some of that, but it especially rose up during the pandemic when we couldn't be on site together. And then It also propelled faculty members to get out of our comfort zones with, oh, you can't debrief unless you're in a room. You can't debrief unless you're in a round table, you know, and then, or how do I do that? And so, but they've gained confidence in that too, in a rapid manner that we, you know, a rapid uptake, which is not typically the case. So even late adopters were able to jump in, watch some of their coworkers do it, participate in it. So, so much is now on the table with how we use our specialists because we are, you know, zooming in all kinds of specialists now for all different simulations, which we're in in particular not a college of health sciences. So we just have nursing, but we have Auburn pharmacy coming in. Now we have UAB school of medicine that we collaborate with and which is going to create better interdisciplinary teams. So I think we've broken down a lot of those barriers of how we can do that, not just for our own students, and saving money and things. We also obviously can use our simulation centers for virtual pieces, but that means we need probably less expensive equipment. Um, And I think that is um, something we hadn't thought about either. 
right? There's a lot of changes occurring. Someone reached out to me regarding dental simulation. Yeah. And, you know, once again, before you know it, we'll be doing accreditation on dental programs. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt it at all. So I don't know if you know, but I was a dental hygienist before I was a nurse. And um, we used to do emergency bedside practice education so that if somebody had a heart attack in your chair, we didn't treat it, but what do you do? But there's also, you have lots of parts. There's still the patient interactions. There's the patient education. There's so much to that. It's unlimited and it can apply to everything, sales and marketing, you know, whatever you want, it can apply to it. But the people skills is part of what I think it's going to also enhance as we move forward, because we've gotten so far away from it with texting and other things that patient care piece, no matter where you are, is, is vital. Yeah, the empathy and compassion. Yes, yes, seeing it. Yeah, and eye contact. The vulnerability yeah. of, of our clients and patients. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many ways to show that as the provider and, and see it and learn the observing skills that healthcare providers used to rely on so heavily for, you know, are they in pain? Can you see a grimace? You know, um, what's their voice sounding like? Are they holding something? Just all those things, especially as nurses that we pay attention to. But every, every field can do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks so much. Yes. Um, you know, Lori, you're, you're doing some groundbreaking work on coaching people. Do you share with our guests what you're doing and what drove you to that? Yeah, I'd love to. Obviously, the pandemic made everybody rethink everything about their careers. And I had COVID early before they came out with a vaccine in January, before they came out with a vaccine. And we had that. And I... I think it made everybody try and realign their values in some way, but more importantly, everybody was withdrawn. They were isolated at home. I was seeing just tons of depression and tons of fear, not just being withdrawn. And I felt led to start putting some positive information out there, trying to inspire people. But I myself started looking at my own health and my role in my health. And I realized that I had not been taking care of myself. Like I was overworking, doing all these things, but I had gained some weight and I was 50, just turned 50 uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And I, and I think all of that together was like this great, you know, combustion of, all right, what are we going to do, you know, and how can we be most impactful with this next phase of our lives? And I really decided I was going to take responsibility for my own health, which I did. And so lost 52 pounds in about three and a half months and had an opportunity to start into preventative medicine, health coaching. And I've had like over 250 clients over the last year and a half that have all done the same thing. And then they've done it with their families. And it's just like right in your own corner of the world. But more importantly, it's getting people back in relationships with one another, um, caring with one another, starting from the beginning, walking through life together. And as people engage with that, it becomes contagious for their families. So it's changing families and moms and dads and it's just the coolest thing to see. So I began, also did a life coach certificate, which uh, I think I'll finish this next month because life and health coaching go together so much. Um, as a family nurse practitioner, I have a pretty good background in most of the medical pieces I need and from practice, but we did not get a lot of nutrition background nor life coaching where, and I see so many of our patients as a family nurse practitioner and as a nurse struggle with so many parts of their lives, but we kind of segregate it and only treated one or two things. So I started health coaching a year ago in September. And um, it has been life-changing for me. Like I just feel so much more joy and align my purpose and my passion with helping people. And I know preventative care is the way we're going in the future as other things are, you know, can't go in the hospital with your loved ones. And um, so we got to keep them out. Right. And then we got to keep immune systems healthy and people, you know, 80% of the world is obese or so. And, you know, there's a, there's a large number there and it varies from, from wherever you get your, your percentages, but 
that's a lot of people that need help. And that's a lot of people who are losing hope and the way we even grow our foods and things here is so different. And after 40, I think you got to stimulate your metabolism a little. So we had to figure out how to do that to keep it moving and your body healthy. And, and those are all core cornerstones of health as you age as well. So it, it's been really fun to add that to what I'm doing. And uh, we don't have a lot of preventative care, healthcare simulations or anything. So I'm sure that I will be getting into how do you do that? What do you teach them? What do you tell them when you can't just refer them to a program? There's, there's a thousand programs out there, but they have to have healthy habit changes. And I'm really all about the healthy habit changes because those are sustainable. It's not a diet or anything else. There's the health coaching is really about changing those habits and changing your mindset about a lot of things. Right. Keeping a growth mindset. That's it. And some of the things I've learned, calories in, calories out, that's not, that's not it. There are really, it's a lot more to it. So it's been really neat to unlearn a lot of things I thought I knew and learn things I didn't know and really get the evidence-based part of health and life coaching down. Excellent. Excellent. Lori, you're an inspiration to so many people. And if our learners want to, our listeners, learners want to get a hold of you, where can they get a hold of you? Do you have LinkedIn, Twitter? What? Yeah, both. Um, yeah, no, I have um, a LinkedIn account. You can just message me or you can get a hold of me on Facebook, Lori Lyosi. I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. But yeah, message me on either one. And yeah, we love expanding our team, but love just connecting and talking about things. So whether it's simulation or, or health, I'm in for both. So yeah. I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, thank you so much. I always love talking with you. Yeah, I always love talking with you, Deb. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. And until next time, happy simulating. Thanks for joining us here at the Sim Cafe. We hope you enjoyed. Connect with us at www.innovativesimsolutions.com and be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode of The Sim Cafe.